I'm Kyle O'Connor. And I'm Terrell Hall. And we're black and white. And yes, it is exactly what it sounds like. So Kyle, let's cut all the formalities and let's get right into what we're talking about today. Let's tell the people what we got on the menu for today. Yeah, Terrell. Well, you know, one thing that's been on my mind for a while is, first of all, starting this podcast, we've had our relationship that's been going strong for just about a year now. And I know this has been in the works and I'm really excited to get things going. Uh, I think we both have a lot to get off our chest. And really what I want to introduce to everyone listening right now is why we're doing this, why black and white exists. And unfortunately, I shouldn't have to answer that question because as much as I love this conversation, this conversation should have been had a long time ago with other people who came before us and not the two of us. But this opportunity has fallen to us and we're going to take full advantage of it. So to speak to a little bit of that, where I come from is a very, I would say upper middle class, somewhat middle class background. Uh, as Terrell mentioned, I am white, I'm 25 years old, uh, grew up in, in the suburbs of New Jersey. And my life experience, the framing that I've seen uh, everything through uh, has been quite different than a lot of folks out there. And, and I'm sure many of you listening. And it's really important that we kick off this podcast as a as a dialogue, as a conversation where we're putting everything on the table and we're bringing new perspectives. And with this dialogue, I hope that we can really get to some meaningful solutions. Uh, and, you know, that's why I want to, I want to pass it over to you, Terrell, because, you know, we are black and white, we are different in our own ways, but the relationship that we've built over this past year has been, has been a special one. Uh, so I, I just wanted to say how excited I am about this journey that we're about to embark on. Thank you, Kyle. Um, I'm just as excited, brother. And um, yeah, it is black and white. We're like the total opposite in terms of like the upbringing um, outside of like, you know, the East Coast or Northeast Coast stuff. And um, I am a 43-year-old Black man who's formerly incarcerated. Um, so there's a huge age um, difference there. But I think the biggest thing for me was how our relationship spoke to just being human beings, right? Um, and especially like at the time when we met, you know, I was really impressed, you know, when you came, knew you were a high character guy from what I could tell, all those things, you know, kind of like straightforward. I like those things about you. But remember, you know, um, at the time, it was like in, at the height of like all the racial tension in the country. And so for me, and I'm a very proud black man, this stuff is in the forefront of my mind. And I remember going through the interview process 
And I had some issues around like, you know, fair chance opportunities, especially for, you know, uh, people from our communities. You know, we haven't had a, a fair shot historically. And so I try to like, wherever I can balance that out or, or create new opportunities, I try to do that. And so even in your hiring process, your character, um, you know, even beyond your experience and any of that um, outweighed, you know, um, all of those other things in that moment. And for me, and reminded me of kind of what we need to be like is understanding as human beings, right? So even the most racist person, um, I don't want to condemn you for being this racist person, right? I want you to explore and understand that this could be a reality, even if you haven't accepted it. And I think if we can kind of come in with those with that type of open-mindedness and try to just understand where the other side is coming from, then we would get a lot further. And I think our relationship naturally evolved around that because, you know, I respected you so much as just a person, right? Um, that I wanted to, I felt like I needed to be honest, especially with building a working relationship. So I, I need to be open and honest. And when I feel some type of way about something, I need you to understand, you know, not just, and you know, I'm very like, um, detailed right so I need you to understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and where it derives from <clears throat> and this is something that kind of spurned us into creating this platform the way we can gather attention for dialogue around those real issues without the heightened emotion you know let's really get to the bottom of it. let's start having a very real conversations because Kyle what we talked about was you know that missing piece of people are defending you know, their party, you know, their geographical location and all these other things. Um, if we could just find a way to remove those things and focus on just the human aspect of it and work towards a, a, a common solution, um, that, that's collaboration, right? If we can find a way to do that, um, then we're better for it. We'll see the impact that we need to see. But um, in my opinion, if we keep defending our sides, um, then all we ever going to have is, is just more fighting, more and more yeah. generations of fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And the you know work relationship that you just mentioned, you know, as, uh, as part of the nonprofit defy ventures and all the, all the work that we're doing there. Um, I, I came into that from a place of, I think anyway, understanding and it's still every single day is a learning process because I don't have that lived experience of the, you know, the, the population of, you know, specifically in this case, justice impacted individuals. Um, I had not known anyone. I did not personally have that experience. I had not known anyone uh, with that experience, but I thought that there was some value there to add uh, that I could help out. I certainly, uh, am, am driven by having a positive impact on a lot of the communities that are in need. And it's been a, an amazing learning process for me. And, and I think the beautiful part of all this is that just like you said there, having that dialogue, uh, being open with one another and pushing the ball forward. My biggest thing is you turn on the TV any or, or any type of media nowadays, mainstream news, and all you get is, you know, P 
people's heads are blowing up. We're, we're really like at each other's necks Two people defending their parties. Like you said, right. Extremely tribal there's, it's just screaming. It's like you, I just, you know, watch this thing for the segment for 20 minutes and I feel like we got nowhere for it. And it just made me feel more depressed. And it's like, it, it takes us in this moment now to be able to undo that and take a completely different path where we are here to coexist. We are here to try and understand one another. And I think we've started that privately and now is the perfect time to take it publicly with, with this podcast. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's a, another huge part of this is just that um, not being able to come to the table of people thinking that they can't come to the table because they don't have anything to offer. And that's the biggest, like, lie you could ever tell yourself um because even that's exemplified through our relationship right we're doing what we can in our space and we don't have millions of dollars well you might have millions i don't have millions of dollars um to like make the the type of impact where you think you need to make it and how you need to make it but if we're really intentional in the space that we're in think about how many people we influence, and I remember years ago, um, John C. Maxwell wrote um, the 21 um, Laws of Leadership, um, Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And he talked about how in a person's lifetime, they influence 10,000 people. Now this is someone that, that's just living their life, everyday life, going to work, doing whatever it is that they do, and they influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. And I was like, wow, that's kind of dope. It, imagine if you're being intentional, and you have a message. And I was like, oh, wow, I could change the world. I'm saying for me, I'm like, I could change the world, you know? Um, and so I think that, you know, bringing things back to, to that level where people understand that, you know, for the same reasons people don't believe that their votes count, right? Um, people don't understand a lot of times like what they can do in their own space to make a difference. So this is kind of dope to have a platform where you'd be like, yo, you crazy. Not only have I done this in our relationship, Kyle, I've done this a million times and people have engaged with people on this level and seen change and, you know, kind of evolution in real time. And it's like, damn, people are not doing this because they're like not really communicating um, at that frequency because there's so many other distractions, especially when you talk about these hot button issues. Yeah. So now it's time, okay, let's dial that shit back, man. Okay, cool, these headlines and stuff, um, they're designed to, to grab your attention, right? But I think um, the problem becomes, you know, when we kind of make this thing our own and we start counting, oh, one for us, that's another loss for them, rather than saying, okay, information, taking this information and be like, okay, this, this is not, just looking at it and analyze, okay, right from wrong you know it's it's like kind of with and i won't get into some of the things like of, of recent history right that have happened and you're like we're all adults cognitive adults and this is going on yeah um because there's also a level of cognitive dissonance that a person can't really avoid either after <laughs> a while so i think it's just being more intentional and more aware of what we're saying what we're communicating um when we're out there. And I say that for my own community, me as, and I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna pass it over to you, Kyle. For me, as a formerly incarcerated, very proud, proud black man, um, 
I, I know that everywhere I go, I'm carrying these flags, right? And so that regardless of whether I want it to or not, what I, I'm doing, what I'm representing, um, is impacted by my actions in real time. And I think if we could be more intentional in general like that and understanding that, yes, you know, my bullshit in the past contributed to some of the bullshit that's going on right now. And I have to accept that, right? But and it doesn't mean that that was it. That's not the period. There's a lot of other stuff that happened after that. And, and the story continues. But I think kind of having people to take that stance and, and um, open their minds to change and evolution from that stance rather than defending where they are right now. Let's create something new because all of this was built on something really fucked up when you yeah. think about it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the whole concept of divide and conquer, which we always hear about the going back in and not just U.S. history, but world history. If you look at the the great conquerors, and whether you want to call them military figures or you know leader, political leaders, anything like that, uh, so many times we've seen the divide and conquer strategy either externally or from within, in terms of you know creating movements and uprisings and and revolutions. And today we're in a lot of the same place. Like it's so, like you said, it's designed to be like media and mass communication. It doesn't matter if it's, you're looking at the television news, or if you're looking at now the big one is these social media companies or you name it, you go down the line. And I mean, we've all heard if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. But this stuff is like, we are, we are programmed at this point. We are programmed to not be together to, we are programmed to get frustrated with one another, not understand one another and to, you know, put it this way. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of Martin Luther King's running around right now there's there's a lot of people who are just trying to capitalize on a base and it's 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 really hard to have any sort of uh, unity and the progress that comes with that when like of course some at some point people have to take the responsibility because it is grassroots right you have if you're going to be a leader you have to start with a, a community a small community and then grow it from there. But even then, aside from kind of people's own free will, the constant 24 seven, seven days a week uh, programming that, uh, and really I like to say information warfare because that's really what it is. <laughs> it, it's psychologically right. manipulating people to mm -hmm. not even wanna be unifiers or positive leaders in their community. And I know there are people out there who are doing it, but this is a, I think if we can accomplish anything from this podcast, one of my biggest things that I'd love to see is to create more people just like us, black and white, from very different backgrounds to building a beautiful relationship that, that they can then take 
from a grassroots level, you know, it's like, Hey, we, we listen to black and white and we love what Terrell and Kyle are saying. So we went and did this. We're, 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 you know, doing some advocacy work in the community. We're using our own agency. We're taking action based on some of the things that inspired us from black and white, you know, and I, I think that would just be a beautiful thing to see. Absolutely. I agree 100%, bro. Um, and that's the thing too, is, is kind of um, working through the murkiness, right? And, and getting back to the, the purity of it all. And that's, again, that's that human connection, right? We, what's, what's life? You can live a life and have all the material wealth in the world, but you never connected on any level, you know, on, on um, with another human being, your higher being, well, any of that stuff, and you just go and you have all these riches, what good is it? You get what I'm saying? And so for us, like, even if you defend where you are, what does it mean tomorrow? What does it mean when you're gone? You know, what, what will your legacy mean to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grands? You know, um, and we've moved away from even, like, really considering that stuff. Um, because there's so much other stuff going on in real time right in front of our faces and you know it's kind of hard to navigate that and still be able to think about like um you know all these other deeper things and by the way white america welcome to black america yeah. um we're born into that right um that kind of not being able to um <clears throat> especially when you're born into poverty and not being able to afford the time to think about like your health or even being afforded to, to take care of your health, right? To buy the healthy foods that you want. You have to buy what's available. You, your thing is about um, surviving. You know, it's about like, you know, convenience. You know, a lot of the times, even when we tear these fast foods, fast food spaces up, they, they're giving us more for our buck, you know, at the time, you know, those types of things. And I think thing now with everything is so in everyone's faces, and people are starting to see, and I think that that um, in real time, like with George Floyd, you know, George long before George Floyd, you know, this has been going on um, even more egregiously, right? And so I think that uh, George Floyd was like this tipping point, though, because it was live and direct, and it was was so long. You know, it was so much, uh, just ample opportunity to just stop this thing, right? Yeah. And no one stepped, not on, only did they have people there reminding them that they are human beings and not what, that he's a human being and they just stopped because they're killing them, right? But they're recording this and, and they didn't even seem to care or mind or none of these things triggered anything within them to say, hold on, this is not right, let's stop. And you know why I believe that is? Because of all that bullshit, that murkiness, the shit that's muddied the waters, these social constructs and the politics and all these different things that we stack on top of our humanity, man. Because if, if you, I don't care what color you are, and I'll go a step further than that. Uh, um, the little girls that, um, the girl that, uh, and forgive me, I, I can't even think of her name right now. Um, that they killed in, I believe it was Ohio. Mm. Um, there was a fight, she had the knife. And, you know, I argue that even if you're thinking this is a child and you see her, you know, run past one child and after the, the girl falls on the floor and she goes after another. I mean, if you can't, the bottom line is if you can't disarm a 12 year old, 13 year old child, right, 
with a butcher knife. I, how are you going to defend our country? Right. You know, how are you going to defend my rights? I don't, you're not even capable. So these people aren't properly trained, right? So in that instance, I say that to say this, is that what if we look at it like, okay, it, I'm so tempted to say it was a white cop and it was racist, but when I dial back and I watch the video and I'm looking at it, you know, frame by frame kind of, and I'm seeing like, this is just, he's a really poorly trained officer. All these people, and then if you look as he's firing his shots, look at the expressions on his higher ups that are standing next to him. You know, this is beyond race, right? But I'm gonna tell you, the thing is that it derived from race, Cal, because my belief is that because this officer hadn't had much interaction with the community outside of policing it after he's been trained, right? So there's been no real context, there's no real reference point. So he doesn't know, say for instance, you know, you come in my community and, and the music is loud and people talk loud and people may, if you don't know, you would think people are being really aggressive mm -hmm. and it could be scary for someone who hasn't had that experience, right? Or, or hasn't been around people to kind of have a baseline reference of, you know, uh, the community. And so I would argue that this cop, had it been say a white, uh, female, someone he's more familiar with. Now, subconsciously, all of these things are happening, yeah. right? The kind of downshift rather than slamming on the brakes. There's a downshift. But now with this, um, because of cultural ignorance, and he sees, you know, um, this girl, and she's he's not even seeing a girl. She's black, and she has a knife. She has a weapon. It triggers certain things right away for him, right? And it's instinct. That's the thing that needs to change. Fundamentally, yeah. we're so in, like entrenched in racism that it's, it's no one thing that we're gonna do that's gonna change that. We could protest all day long. The way that the officers are trained, uh, and one more thing, Kyle, on that is, you know, I keep hearing these officers talking about their job is to get home back to their families at the end of the night. No, the fuck is not. Your job is to protect and serve. Yeah. Point blank, period. This is why we. We lord you guys as heroes. This is why you get the burials and the pensions and the family gets taken care of because you're putting your life on the line to protect us. So don't fucking tell me that it's your job to, to get home at the end of the night. No, it isn't. You're putting your job on the line to make sure that I get home at the end of the night. Right. And I think those fundamental things are things that need to change. And these are not the conversations that are being had. Instead of pulling, just saying defund the police, no, tr properly train the police. Yeah. You know, yeah. we need infrastructure. We're a very large country. We need infrastructure. So, you know, I kind of just want us to lean in on those things and, and, and help gather attention for dialogue, like I said, around those issues. You know, it, it's no secret why the, and I'm going to say like the, the kind of, just marketing terminology and these phrases that they come up up with like defund the police abolish the police all this stuff that stuff is just for play and we know now that for the most part there's no real substance to that because every <laughs> almost every single time a let's just say a candidate brings that up and makes that a big campaign point. We've seen time mm -hmm. and time again where they're losing the the public, the overall public, not a red or blue thing, the overall public 
is against that. It's people just want to know that they're retrained, that, okay, yeah, maybe they're demilitarized some, they're, you know, re-educated, they're, they're brought more into the community more, but all those things to make it more safe. They don't want it so that there's, you know, the, the police are totally defunded or abolished like that. It, it's just such for, it, it, it's such for show. You know, you look at, uh, I mean, we've seen it in other states too, but the recent, uh, the Democratic primary uh, for the for New York City's mayor, you know, right. just just look who won that, right? Uh, right. Er- Eric Adams, and exactly, and and some of the candidates that he was going against, and and the the difference in messaging and background, and you know, it was clear, and he had a a for the most part a clear and convincing uh, win, and and I think that sent a big message. And the other thing that I'll say is, you know, you mentioned uh, George Floyd and how so many of these things, like the mindset and all, it's like entrenched in us now, right? And trying to figure out how to undo that. The sad thing about the George Floyd story that doesn't get talked about enough, and we could do a whole, you know, multiple episodes on this alone, is that you know, George Floyd's story, it, it, the, the knee on the neck is not the beginning of the story. It's not the main part of the story. The story is that everything that was a part of George Floyd's life before he even got to that point where he was on the ground with the officer killing him, all of the things, all the things that he went through in his life, all, all of the, uh, you know, negative effects, right? I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be in that position. And, and we'll get to this too, you know, this, the, the white privilege thing and all that's something that myself and I know a lot of people where I'm from, we really struggle with and we go back and forth on, but think about all the things that he had to deal with in his life because of, yes, somewhat the choices he made, but more, even more, the, environment that he was a part of that forced it and that led him down a path to get murdered and Mm -hmm. the last thing i'll say is too and i know that uh, we've talked about this off air with uh with malcolm gladwell we're big we're big readers we're big gladwell fans and uh, i think this was gladwell's second to last book that he had come out i believe was uh, called talking to strangers uh, we're talking with strangers. It was something like that. And uh, one of the big points that he discusses in the book in more than one chapter is the case of Sandra Bland and what happened with Sandra Bland. And that if we think about the beginning interaction that she had with that officer that led to her tragic death it came from a place of the officer not having any understanding, empathy, any sort of sense of where Sandra Bland was coming from. And Sandra Bland didn't, you know, you could say that Sandra Bland may not have had the understanding of where the officer was coming from, but back to your point, it's the officer's job to de-escalate. It's not right. the citizen's job. It's not Miss right. Bland's job. It's the officer's job to protect and serve, which part of that is 
de-escalating a situation when you sense that there might be, you know, some, some stress or some trauma or some things going on. And what did the officer do? Made it so much worse, so much traumatizing from a routine stop that she ends up committing suicide. Now you tell me like, like from a, a rational perspective, like what possibly could have gone wrong there where, where that was the end result, right? I, I just, I don't understand. I, I did, to me, it's how you can go into that situation with and, and wear a badge. And I have a lot of respect for a lot of police officers, but mm. you, you know, we have to do better at de-escalating and having an understanding for one another, even if, like we're saying, we have very different backgrounds, interests, you name it. Right. I, I agree with you 100%, brother. And um, that's the thing. A couple of things. We have to have, definitely have to do a whole like show on just cancel culture, um, which I think is just out of just out of control um, at this point. But um, extremism is something that we have to be um, cautious of, right? And so when emotions are, are so heightened, um, it's easy. Look at the Capitol riots. I don't think anyone, when they were going there, saying that we're gonna burn it down, maybe some people, whatever, um, but I don't think that was the overall idea, right? But when you get people in these situations and emotions are heightened, then, you know, all rationale is out the window. We've all been a part of like, you know, even if that, like maybe a mosh pit or, you know, a party that got out of hand and, you know, the momentum just took things, you know, to a place where no one expected, you know, those types of things happen. But I think that when, when you, you like kind of loosely throw extreme ideas around, they kind of start to settle in people's minds. And, you know, not everybody's processing things the same. And I'm not saying that, you know, um, anyone that's responsible per se for mass shootings, but I, you have to think about some of the ideas that we put out there um, and, and extreme ideas. And some people are really just basic, really basic thinkers. And, and if they don't have much else to live for, they feel like, and this idea means that much, and you have people that's kind of putting a framework around it for them, right? And something that they believe in, and then uh, people go and fly off the handle, uh, there is a level of responsibility um, that we as a society have in that. And yeah. I think that when we throw these extreme ideas around and that's a way that we do that. Um, so I think that's something that needs to be checked. And I think also with, you know, when we talked about the Black Lives Matter movement, I think the idea started from a, a really solid place. But then um, no one really thought about solutions and no one was really, me as a black man, I could say I've never talked to anyone from BLM, you know, and they're out here representing me. No, I don't think so. I don't, I disagree with a lot of what they say and do and, and a lot of just what they stand on. Um, but these are the organizations that are $90 million they got, you know, and where did it go? So, so you're telling me, so now that people are able to say, oh, well, we gave, 90 million dollars to address um the problems in the black community um uh, no i haven't seen any of that don't know what blm did with any of that money or any of that stuff so being more intentional about how we handle these problems because when you start to scream people just want to 
shut the screen or they want to give you pacifiers and for me that 90 million dollars was an example of that and there's no results from that nothing right. that i've seen so i think extremism hurts us all so we have to be careful when we're out on these platforms these social media platforms and stuff and throwing these ideas out there because you contribute to the the lack of effectiveness as well because on the back they're just going to shut you up so um i definitely wanted to touch on that and another thing is compassion. You know, when you talked about the office and how does he end up like that um, with Sonya Bland, um, the lack of compassion, if you're just a human being, if you see something that's not right, and I keep seeing these shootings of, of, of people, you know, these officers murdering um, these mental health patients, and um, so these mentally ill people, and it's because of lack of compassion, man. And, and a lot of times you see, wait, hold on, uh, he got killed, he had a knife, um, he got murdered, a gun you couldn't even see, and he was in a compromised position. We're seeing a lot of this type of stuff. And so I'm saying if you could just put yourself in another person's shoes, like, okay, I got him restrained, the guy's not resistant. Why I got to twist his ankle? You know, why I got to bend this wrist extra? If you could be, just be a compassionate human being, and I, I, and I can understand you have to do your job. I broke the law, whatever, I'm going in. My beef is not with you. You have a job to transport me pretty much you know, to, to put me in custody, you're going to do your job. I'm not going to end it. My beef is going to be in the courtroom. That's when I get to fight for myself. Yeah. And so if we can just be compassionate human beings and everybody, what I'm saying, is just operate from a place of compassion and saying, okay, it, it, we'll get a lot further forward. Um, but um, one of the other things I wanted to touch on, a great point with the Sonia Bland case, but I like um, the Philando uh, Castillo case in that um, I think that's a, a good example of kind of that that preconceived fear um, that's associated with black men, mm. and also understand that uh, there's also a stigma that comes with the power structure for black men um, in America as well. You know, that's the man. You know, white America is it's always it never stood for us, and so anyway, if you notice in the stop, and you know. Uh, the officer let's just get right to it i don't want to like re-traumatize anything anybody or any of that stuff right but after the shooting the officer's response now mind you even during it uh, uh, fernando's tell him he has the weapon um license to carry all of that stuff right he's explaining to him he's telling him the officer can't hear that because once gun and black man the association was here and this was an officer that older officer that was you know, more towards retirement age, retirement age. So now this mentality, I got to get home, is in the forefront of his mind and instincts kicking. Black man gun, shoot. Ask questions later. I think that was a prime example because his reaction, like he couldn't even believe he had shot him. Yeah. And he was crying. This officer had a breakdown right there on the spot because now all that shit that was um, stacked atop, this, uh, atop his humanity, Right, it was removed now because you just took another human being's life, and you could tell that he wasn't even that type of person because of the way his re response to his reaction to it. Yeah, but because of all those things that were stacked on top of it, it, it created a reaction that was unfortunately detrimental. Right, and now this cop, regardless of outside of being fired and all this other stuff, right, is is. He'll never be the same again. Never. 
right? And so if you look at it from the human perspective, this is really fucked up for a whole bunch of human beings, right? Um, the girlfriend, um, the daughter, the officer, his family, all this collateral damage from these social constructs and ideas that we've created, right? Because that's where it all derived from these ideas. I, it's more probably more differences between me and another black man biologically than it is between me and you, Kyle. Mm -hmm. That's how insignificant actually race is. The concept of race is something that we created. Yeah. It's not even fucking real, but we're killing for it. We're dying for it. For what? And that's my thing. Let's get back to like where this shit started. Let's talk about the roots of the problem. Let's start moving intentionally and addressing these problems. And we could do this as everyday, everyday human beings. When you're out at fucking happy hour, instead of talking about some bullshit, let's delve into some real issues. And that's yeah. something else we, we like to do. We do a lot of fucking masquerading and parading and like just, um, um, what do you call it? We have a lot of rituals and shit. Man, fuck all that. Let's get to the root of the problem, man. Let's have some real conversations about it's okay for you to feel how you feel. I want to understand why you feel like that even. And that's, we have to get to a place of that. I don't want to condemn you for feeling that way. I want to fucking understand whether right. I agree with it or not. And I can move on and not agree with it. We have that human right. But I think that if we can start intentionally moving um, and having these conversations and then start, that's how we want our policymakers to start thinking like fucking human beings, you know, um, because they're out here just chasing votes and power. So um, that's a whole different thing. But I think that for us in the space that we each reside in as everyday fucking citizens out here paying taxes and, and involved in this shit, it's everyday citizens that are getting hit with these straight bullets. Yeah. You know, um, it's us that hurt the most when it comes to inflation. You know, all these other things that negatively impact us, they impact us even more. So why don't we like um, empower ourselves, embrace our power, right? And that's something I want to get into as well. Like we actually have the constituency. We, as the constituency, we have the power. We need to exercise that shit. And that doesn't just mean with voting. There's so many other ways if we could just unify and even if whatever your cause is, identify your pocket of people and start making shit happen. Because if you're gonna wait on or the so-called leadership to, to step in and, and, and kind of change things, then you're gonna be waiting a very long fucking time. And we don't have time to waste. Our kids out here in these streets literally dying. Literally fucking dying. So yeah. we don't have time to waste. And, and I just want to like get to the meat of it, man. I want to like, let's start having these conversations, start building policy around it. Let's start making moves as, as community leaders on the ground. We don't need titles for that shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to definitely a call to arms for that is my point. Absolutely. And you see it now, you know, crime is, and I'm not, again, I'm not, we're, we're not here to be alarmists, but we're putting everything on the table and there's no avoiding that in a lot of these big cities, the crime rates are increasing like crazy and it's going to take it. You know, we we've seen, it's going to take some time. If, if we can ever get to a place where we feel comfortable with these police forces and the retraining and reeducation, like, yeah, when we get, if, and when we get to that point, that will be great, but we know that's going to take time and we know where we stand right now in the present. So it's going to take some 
community advocacy, some positive action, some agency from all of us, people just like you and me, Terrell. And, you know, I, I mean, you, you hit on a lot of really important things there. And I think there's some, you know, when we think about extremism and how so much of our media is, you know, like they say, like in the social dilemma and that documentary and everything, right? How the, the platforms reward the extreme posts and things, the extreme content. So they elevate that so more people see it, more people engage with it because engagement, of course, means more uh, eyeballs and, and ad dollars for, for the media companies. So why would they change? And it's, it's so funny because if, if we think about like, if we just take Facebook, you know, Facebook started as from the premise of, and you know, this is, you could literally like take this almost word for word from Zuckerberg, where his big thing was opening the world up and connect connection, making all these connections and new friendships with all these people all over the country, all over the world, right? That's whatever year Facebook really kicked off. Uh, that was the intention. Now, this, this is the first time in recorded in human history, sitting here in 2021, where now we've been on this platform, just that's one of them, for example, for how many years now? You know, over a decade, right? right. Now, do, I'll ask the audience, do we feel like Facebook has unified us, has connected us? Has, <laughs> I don't think so, right? It has done, it has siloed us even to such an extreme where it's like almost unbelievable how we're living in this experiment now and we've gotten this separated. So it did the exact opposite of what it was intended to do. And I, I just, I can't believe that, I can't believe that we're in a place now. I almost feel like I wish we could kind of hit a reset button, but I realize that's, that's unrealistic. Um, and, and another thing that, you know, you mentioned, and, and I have some thoughts on, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and the leadership there, the, you know, what they're advocating for. Uh, I act, I have some very strong kind of uh, political thoughts on that organization. I think that the messaging is, uh, I agree with probably most of the messaging. However, the way that it's carried out is, I think, very flawed. Uh, I think that, and, and we'll get into this deeper, uh, I'm sure, later on, but the I think that if if BLM had a true leader that actually wanted to put together a somewhat realistic, uh, you know, agenda or so, I don't want to say a list of demands, but something along those lines, and took it to, you know, the White House. You know, again, like I don't think that we're too far gone now to do what Martin Luther King Jr. did when he went to the White House and he presented his case and 
everyone benefited from it. We got policy passed. Now, obviously, it was a very preliminary stage. There was a lot to go, right? But that moved the ball forward, right? Since BLM has started, have we moved the ball forward? We're either in the same place or maybe even going backwards in some ways. And mm -hmm. the, the last thing that I'll say is that when we think about because of that, movements, like you said, you don't necessarily feel like BLM and all the money that they've raised represents how you feel and your best interests necessarily. If we're to empower ourselves, and again, use our own personal agency at a grassroots level, which is really, the, I think, the only way or the best way to get this done, make the progress that we want, do we do it where we become, we've used the, the term putting everything on the table. D do we, and I'll pose this as a question to you, Terrell, to get your thoughts, because this is something I've struggled with. Do we talk about race more and where we hear out everyone's opinions and perspectives and we handle it that way? Or do we almost deprogram ourselves because the United States is such a black and white race focused society? And I don't know too much about this, but I've heard that other cultures, um, not in America, but of uh, you know uh, black people, they don't see you race. said that like a real white boy black people <laughs> yeah like well uh, here we are right <laughs> and uh, you know it's like they they don't they don't necessarily like see race in the same that way that we do and here it's like everything's about race and we got you know these movies about slavery and we've got you know we're going to put harriet Tub tubman on the what is it, the $20 bill? And you know, everywhere we turn, it's it's something about race. So what do you think? Do you think the best way forward is making it even more prevalent or almost pivoting away from that? There's no fucking way you pivot away from it, Kyle. There's just no way you do that. It's that's like saying acting as if um you've been diagnosed with a mental health issue and just said, Well, I'm just not gonna address it. And I'm just going to move on and like just, you know, holistically grow in a different direction. You can't do that. And so I definitely um, um of the th thought that, you know, addressing things directly. I think that race having been such a taboo topic in this country for such a long time is a part of the problem. Right. Because how do you fix something that you can't even talk about? So that means when we say we can't talk about it, that means it's not being talked about on the Senate floor, House floor, or any of that, right? So it's not being talked about where, where it really matters the most in the infrastructure of this country. So we have to talk about it. And I think that um, it's very important how we talk about it. And even, you know, when you think about all the riots and, you know, everything that was going on, this was an expression of, you know, hundreds of years of pent, pent up anger and aggression, you know, ancestors are speaking um, through people. People have been frustrated their entire lives and they're only 20 years old. 
They don't know what the fuck to do with that frustration. And so they let it out in ways that they best knew how. And we still have that going on within our communities now, right? Um, which is something that's overlooked when they say, oh, well, people need to tell Black people that Black lives matter. Um, what, well, those people that say, they, say that need to understand also that fundamentally, you know, being born into poverty and being born into a country as a disenfranchised um, human beings, a totally different set of issues than you have when, you know, you were part of the infrastructure. You were thought um, ideally, you know, when this country was being built. You know, I wasn't even considered a human being. My ancestors wasn't considered full human beings. So it's fundamentally a, a, a thing there. Like when every law, everything that derived from this shit is poison to a certain degree for me as a black person, anybody that's not white. So I think that having that fundamental understanding of that, because that's education for us all. White, little white kids need to know this just like little black kids need to know this. It's not to condemn, it's, it's like to show, okay, we, this is where we, we started and we need to grow from here. And, and show even evolution over time, the, the strides that we have made to encourage that same change moving forward through um, these leaders of tomorrow. So um, it's funny that this came up because one of the big hot button um, issues now is critical race theory um, being taught in the schools. And you know, I heard this black parent saying how it teaches racism. Um, no, it educates, right? Because we, what happens if you act as if racism doesn't exist? And I think, you know, if I have a son and, you know, he's going out to the world and he's just naive that, you know, as a black man, things are just inherently different, um, point blank, period. He needs to understand that. His lack of understanding that could cost him his life. And I think for those parents that are like upper middle class, um, that being black experience is, is something different when you come from the inner city um, per se, right? And so I think that the people that are speaking out against this are mostly, um, I would, uh, I'm willing to bet that most of them came from the upper middle class um, households because um, you know uh, anyone, in my opinion, it's like, why wouldn't you want your child to be educated and know that fundamentally this is something that we, we built and especially when we're working on dismantling this very thing. So for me, it's, it's, I think it's imperative that we talk about it. I think we need to lead with this shit. We need to talk about, okay, if we're talking about, um, it's just like we do with gender and all these different things, right? Race, is, it has to be there because it's this monster that we fucking created. And now we have to deal with it. You can't just put it to rest. That's not how it works. So, you know, um, and teaching kids how to navigate it, I think is really important rather than just leaving them to the devices of the world. At least you can, you can form some type of framework around it before they're really exposed to it and have to make decisions for themselves in real time. So I, for me, I think um, critical race theory is really important um, for us as a society, not just these children. Yeah, and I, it's it's interesting that you went there because that's kind of where I was where I was going with it too. Uh, just the other night, uh, Bill Maher on his show, uh, and it, it's funny. Bill Maher actually he uh, grew up uh, very close to in a school district that's very close to mine. Oh wow! 
And uh, it's been uh, quite interesting to see him. uh, I mean, obviously I wasn't around then, but quite interesting to see him rise. And he's, he's from my area, but I, I say that because even though I, I disagree with him on a a decent amount of things uh, as of late, I think he's been a pretty good voice of reason. And I think that even though now he's a lot more rich and famous, I think that he captures the feeling of a lot of the upper middle class suburban white people. And again, not trying to speak for all of them, but I do know many of them in in my area. And I think he was saying when it comes to critical race theory, and, and I agree with him on this, that most people we feel like most people would be fine learning about the black experience, learning about more about racism and some of those key things. And not just uh, for African-Americans, but also Native Americans uh, and, and uh, you know, Asians as well. And I, I think that where there is a disconnect is amongst white people where it just seems like not necessarily that it's going to be reverse racism or that it's going to take over the entire history book but it's like it seems it just seems like maybe it's just the way that it's being marketed it it, it seems like it's a lot It, it seems like if we go down the path of teaching the good things, right, which I think we both agree should be taught, Mm -hmm. that eventually it could turn into something a little bit different and something that where it does go down the line of kind of reverse racism and blaming the wrong people and white shame and all this stuff. And and it's almost like I kind of, and I don't want to switch topics, but I kind of liken it to like the statue debate where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, yes, like there are some statues that are hateful that should be taken down. But then again, once you start taking down statues, when do we stop? Is, you know, Lincoln and Washington and Teddy Roosevelt, like, yeah, like they were all flawed, but they were a lot, they did a lot better things in, especially like Lincoln and like a Teddy Roosevelt did, did things that were a lot better than say like a, you know, uh, uh, you know, one of the Confederate generals, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, once you start, I think that's the fear if I'm making sense there. Okay. So I think that the, the okay, and I get that, but the thing too is that, like, that's also like the white perspective too, because if from the black perspective, we didn't matter either way to these people, to where the, even the history that you guys can embrace and say, okay, well, that was good or whatever, it's like, no, we don't give a fuck because we were slaves. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, that doesn't hold as much weight. And so for a lot of these people, and, and then we talk about, for so long, uh, the country stood on this. It's nice to see some some um, acts of symbolism, right, um, um, have to be made. So that does mean some of these statues and things have to come down because I think it's it's, it's a gesture of, of saying that we're leaning in the right direction. It's like when the presidents, you know, exchange 
um, when the new president comes in, you know, they, they bring a gift for the old president, that type of thing. You know, so um, for me, I just feel like if, even if it does, like, because there was nobody in power to say, well, if we started down this road of, you know, kind of white people saying, if we start letting them in our restaurants, the next thing you know, they're going to be in our houses. They're going to be sleeping with our women. You know, these are things that were being said, and these were the fears, that white fear at the time, right? And so even with going down this road, we have to kind of weigh things out. Okay, it's the level of education. We know what the intent is. So that for me, that's everything. So if, if we can stay focused on what the intention is in teaching this, right, it's, it will never be able to cap all the fallout off, right? But we can minimize it. And that's all we can do as human beings. It's always going to be collateral damage. There are always going to be some, you know, shortcomings. And I think that if we focus on what the intention is, then we come out and say, this is what we, because we'll build ways to prevent and to minimize the things that we're worried about you know, with the reverse racism and all that thing. I think just jumping in the way people are now, is that's a greater concern with the way things are going now than if they were, if we were going down this role of being intentional and, and teaching, you know, critical race theory. And, and, and like I said, just being intentional about what we want the outcomes to be rather than just everybody coming from so many different directions and just throwing shit against the wall and before you know it, you know, people are elbowing and, and there's all this infighting and everyone's forgotten about the actual goals that everyone, we all should be working towards um, equality. Who the fuck is working against equality? Right. And that's right. my thing is like, okay, how can you even, anybody asking for equality? How could you even deny that? That's a basic human right. <laughs> how could you even begin in your mind to deny anyone that? So. That's my thing is if we're talking about real equality and I think that is in, in all fairness, this ugly side of the history needs to be seen. It needs to be understood, you know, um, where things come from to create even a greater tomorrow, you know? So as, as nasty and sticky as it could possibly get, um, that's, that's what we invested into it, right? We did this. So we have to accept that that on the other side, this is what we're gonna see. We did this. So now it's working through that. I couldn't, like, after I was sentenced to prison for all the shit I was guilty of, right? I could, I didn't sit on my bunk and, and be like, oh, damn, why did he do this to me? I made my own fucking bed. And now working through all that shit, um, the enemies I created, you know, even the time I had to do, the, the ties that were lost, the relationships and, you know, the money and, you know, health and time, all those different things that I lost was what I invested on the front end. So in order for me to get to this, you know, really great place on the back end, right? I got to work through all this bullshit that I threw in, in the pot to begin with. And so that's what we're doing. We have to accept that. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think, again, but we, we minimize the fallout by being intentional on the front end. And I don't think our leadership has done a, a great job of that. And I think Biden is just, oh, he's not a leader, yeah. um, in my opinion. And, and I don't even know a whole lot about him, but I know that he's a politician, right? And right. they go with the when. I don't trust any politician. I'll say this about Barack, uh, any pot politician in the history of mankind, because every politician has incentive 
to vote one way or another for this issue or that. And that's what they do. They offer sell, period, yeah. it's part of the job. But so, yeah, I think that we definitely need to um, address it head on. I think that the fallout uh, would be worth the outcomes. I think that uh, it would, we, we have to. Yeah, I think that's something that it's like, I mean, it really is a, a debate and I'm glad that we're <laughs> kind of, I'll say dipping our toe into it now because there is a lot to talk about, but it's like how much, I think people wonder like how much of the shit do we have to kind of go through in order to get to the, the best version of ourselves and get to the, the, the better side of things. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think the, the intention is ever to uh, try to uh, say that, um, you know, a, a certain history for um, whites is the same as a certain history for African-Americans. You know, there's a obviously a clear difference. There's no universal, um, no, no, you know, universal history for the United States there for obvious reasons. Um, and, and I don't, I think that, you know, most reasonable uh, white people would agree with that. And they're willing to, to make changes, to make improvement. I like to think that most people are, are here and they, they, they want to make things better. Uh, yeah. Of course, there's that minority who will, will not want that. But speaking for the majority, I think most people will want to work together so that, yes, you know, we, we do teach more about the African-American experience and we don't necessarily make it a, a separate course or an elective. It's just part of the regular history class, you know, and uh, and of course, you know, it would be great to have it part of the regular history class and a, an extra deeper dive in it too. you know, having both would be right. would be excellent. Right. Um, but I'm just saying that, like, if, if hypothetically we had to pick and choose um, and I, I just think that. Uh, you know, it, it's and, and maybe it's just that maybe it's be, because I know that there's a lot of people out there who have that same fear that I mentioned before. And maybe that literally just comes down to the actual uh, marketing of it in, you know, the, the media and the, the press and everything. Because I really don't think the way that you described it, I don't think that most people uh, would be against it. You know, they, they want their kids to know what happened and we'll all be better for it on the other mm -hmm. end and in the future.